Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. In November 2015, it was announced that the Church of England would be one of the first institutions to be examined by ICSA, which is the uh, Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse. Uh, and uh, we've had, I think, three inquiries since then, three blocks of inquiries, um, looking at um, the Diocese of Chichester, as an example, at uh, the specific case of uh, the Bishop Peter Ball. And we're just, uh, while we're filming this, we're coming to the end of, of a second um, uh, general batch of two weeks uh, looking at the uh, Church of England as a whole, talk, talking to um, survivors and so on. So it's been a heavy session for um, the Church of England. It's, it's, it's quite a unique position for a church to be in, to have this depth of examination by an independent body. That's the, the key thing. And throughout, um, Hattie Williams, our senior reporter, has been covering this. I thought this would be a good opportunity just to reflect slightly on what we've been doing and, and, and what this means for the church in general. Uh, my, my first question really is, is have you detected through the, the, um, the three or four years while this has been going on a change in, in the attitude of the church towards this issue? I think there are definitely some major changes, um, particularly in terms of how the church has approached safeguarding. So in the last three years, just the number of staff who are um, undertaking this area um, has increased by a lot <laughs> and the funding has increased by a huge amount as well. The policies have been improved and are tightened and a lot of work has gone into um, training uh, clergy and laity as well in safeguarding and kind of raising awareness of safeguarding at all levels, so parish in the diocese um, and just thinking about where people come into contact with children and where safeguards need to be put in place. Now, although that's happened, mm -hmm. what we're looking at, particularly this week, is whether the culture has changed. So a lot of criticism of the church has been that there's been a kind of culture of what they call clericalism. And it can be applied to other um, institutions as well. It's not really just clerics, but the idea is that people are almost above safeguarding or they're not taking it seriously enough because they feel it's not their responsibility, or on the other side of things, that they cannot believe that someone in their parish, they cannot believe that their vicar or their Sunday school teacher or whoever it might be could possibly carry out that kind of abuse because of the reputation that they've had with their parishioners or whoever before that. And that's a huge problem in the church and that's something they're still addressing and they're still being criticised on. But I think generally, what has happened is that although the younger people and ordinands are really understanding and really kind of get safeguarding, I think there's still a problem in the hierarchy, um, certainly with certain bishops, not all of them, but certain bishops kind of not really understanding what that means. I mean, what you hinted in your, your answer that we've moved away from the specific case of safeguarding, something mm -hmm. much more significant, which is about the, the nature and use of authority and power. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a lot of questions about that because the bishops at the moment in particular have a huge amount of responsibility and power. And there are many different elements to that power. So they're responsible for clergy discipline, which is a huge um, problem in terms of conflict of interest, because how can you uh, discipline a cleric who you've also been a pastor to for how many and years? Appointed. Yeah. And appointed. And yeah, appointed, exactly. And it's about how bishops can be held to account if they fail to um, hold that cleric to yeah. account. So it's it's a complicated thing of power and and also that kind of coming back to that idea of, of clericalism, there's been kind of evidence in the past that bishops have not necessarily taken the advice that they should have taken um, from uh, recently sort of introduced dice and safeguarding advisors who are professional, should be professional uh, people in social work and, and have a background in safeguarding, actually taking that advice and disciplining the clerics, sometimes suspending, or, uh, and one of the, another key issue which you may want to talk about is is uh, reporting to the, to the police and many clerics and bishops as well who've just failed to report. Do you think there's a generational thing that, that you, you hinted that the younger clergy have a, a this is part of the, mm. the almost their upbringing now, but I suppose what I'm getting at is, is this, is this still a problem or is it, are we, are we dealing with the, the rubbish from the past? I think it's still a problem. I think there is a sense of um, it's kind of overlapping from the past as well. But um, some of the evidence actually this week that we've heard from people who um, are safeguarding professionals in the Church of England, some bishops, um, is that idea of particularly parishes, um, you know, congregations still not understanding safeguarding. And you've got to remember that churches in the Church of England, there's a huge variety in parishes and dioceses, big and small, different funding levels, um, different kinds of communities, um, rural and urban. But there are some cases in some communities where it's not on their radar, safeguarding, and it's not understood in the way that it's understood, perhaps um, more likely to be understood by younger congregations in urban areas. And that idea that you know, as I said before, you know, how could, you know, how could my cleric possibly do that? And that kind of putting people on a pedestal and, and not believing that because they've done good things that they are also capable of doing bad things sure. as well. But I think there's, there's still a fair bit of pushback against the idea that everybody in authority is, is now suspect. Mm. I think this is one of the difficult balances that, that the church is trying to cope with. And, and I certainly I was talking to somebody from another church just last week who, who was saying that the, the problem is that there have been a few examples of, of appalling behaviour, but that means that the whole of the clergy of his denomination are now um, tarred with that reputation. How do you think the balance is being struck here? It's, it's a really difficult one when you're talking about um, reputation because the protection of reputation of both the church and individuals, bishops and clerics and so on, has been a huge problem for the church and a key point of the inquiry in that, you know, they're saying that the church would rather protect reputation than uh, actually respond properly to um, allegations of abuse. Um, And obviously those allegations have to be investigated properly um, and due process and and all the rest of it. Um, But I I think it's kind of almost outweighed the idea of protecting reputation over doing 
an investigation or handling that disclosure properly, responding um, in writing in person or reporting to the police, there's been a huge um, disbalance in that, I think. Uh, and another criticism that, that I hear is that um, it's very easy now for people who are accused of something to be dragged into a, a long drawn out process. So proving innocence in this case is, is becoming increasingly difficult. Yes, um, that was obviously one of the key issues with the George Bell case um, and that that was also handled very badly, but from the other side of things. Sure. So um, I think because that kind of came about right at the crux of this whole issue of safeguarding coming out in the press um, and these cases, these allegations of abuse um, coming about and the church having dealt with those so badly that I think it almost kind of was trying to make up for it and leapt in the deep end and thought, you know, didn't really investigate properly, release the name, far, you know, early when perhaps it shouldn't have done. And, and that, of course, was uh, what Lord Clark Carlyle said in his review, and that it was poorly handled in that respect. Um, so I think it's... It's a difficult one. It has to be, um, as I say, balanced properly and you have to do a proper investigation either way. Sure. So imagining ourselves five years on, say, mm. and all the safeguarding things that are being put into place are, are, the, are then functioning well. What would the church look like in terms of, of this whole issue? Would it, is it, will it be a safer place? Will, there be, will it be possible to strike a balance between the fair treatment of those accused and those who are mm. doing the accusing, mm. how does that? The whole thing that the inquiry is trying to do is make the church a safer place. Um, and we've got to remember how massive the Church of England is, particularly with regard to children and young people. It's one of the biggest, or if not the biggest, organisation of groups that children and young people um, attend. So um, it is a huge issue and making that space safe is, is hugely important. That's what the inquiry, that's their ultimate aim. The problem is the Church of England has to as you say, has to put all of these policies in place, but also carry them out. So there's evidence this week that although there are very, very good policies in place and they're written very well, they're not being implemented at the different levels, so parish, diocese and so on. Um, so that's really something that has to be done. How would it look in, in, in five years' time if it was working well? It's a good question. So if it's working well, then there'll be no gaps in terms of between what is actually written down and what is actually being done. There are a few big issues that haven't been resolved yet. Um, so the clergy discipline measure is a huge topic, particularly this week. Um, and it's to do with that accountability of bishops being responsible for disciplining, but also being pastors for their own clergy um, and how that process is carried out. And also, um, I should say, how survivors are involved with that process as well. How can complaints can be brought um, and how um, that can be dealt with. The impression that we're getting at the moment is it's not fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. So that will be, have to be rewritten. And um, speed is an issue as well. Because speed is a huge issue, yeah. I mean, it takes years to do anything in the yeah. Church of England. And I think that's something that the inquiry is beginning to understand through this evidence and trying to you know, push and say, you know, how, you know, how can you possibly get these things done quicker because safeguarding is a matter of urgency. Going back to the reputational stuff, mm -hmm. I mean, one of the privileges of being an independent newspaper is that we it's not our problem um, obviously we, we we function within the church of england in a in a general sense mm. we, um, and yet we're not responsible for the reputation of the of the institution at all mm. um, how does that how has that felt as a as a, a reporter when you're working on this 
I think it's important to remember that we're independent and to not feel guilty about reporting what is being said because some of the things that have come out, um, particularly the incredibly powerful testimonies from survivors um, and just the awful things that they've gone through, not just the abuse, but afterwards how it's been handled, they sometimes describe it as being re-abused because it's been so poor. And I think there is a slight sense of it's so important to put the gritty details out there so that people understand what went on and what continues to go on because some of these cases are very recent or certainly the disclosures are recent um, and they were not handled properly you know we're talking the last year the last two years so I think it really is important to put the facts out there and, and hopefully for people to read it and you know one doesn't want to be disillusioned but you know it's important to to say it how it is and hopefully in time, the the church can improve on that, and you know. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm conscious that mm. that in a way the church is relying on the Church Times to keep putting it out there. there. There's no other mechanism internally for what is happening in this inquiry to be disseminated around the, mm. the dioceses. Um, there will be a final report, mm. but that will be read by a minimum number of people, and so, mm. on. so I'm very conscious that the. Your reporting of this um, day after day during the during mm. the, the proceedings is what's allowing people to to grasp this mm. this particular metal. I wanted to ask a personal question actually. Mm. How has it been? Uh, it's, it's easy to ask a, a stupid question on this, but but has your attitude towards the Church of England changed by your exposure to the stuff you've been listening to? I think it would be hard not to <laughs> for it not to have changed. Um, yes, it has changed definitely. Can you? Say a bit more about that. I was brought up in the Church of England. My father is a vicar, <laughs> well, he's retired now. Mm. And so that's the institution that I grew up in and I know it very well. And writing for the Church Times is a great privilege, but it is it has a flip side because you are writing about things that in detail that you had no idea about before and the ways in which the church just is not doing things right. And I think safeguarding is, it's a very, very personal thing for lots of people. And it's its very, very sad that it hasn't been dealt with properly. Um, and it does make you feel like it would be hard to be part of that institution that is not doing these things properly. And some of the responses are just inadequate. Um, and some of the evidence, you know, even from bishops, almost retiring or retired and you know the way they handled things and you think you know how can you put your faith in in people like that to run this institution when they're just failing people every day um so it is yeah it's it's been uh, a journey <laughs> for sure well, I, in, a, in a way i'd like to end on a positive note but i don't think <laughs> this is the the right subject and the right occasion i mean i, I hope in the, uh, our vision of, of how things might be in five years' time, when it's it's, or, or hopefully sooner, mm. when it's it's being treated properly and mm. being handled well, would mm. would be sufficient. When the, if the church is a safer place where where innocence can mm. be protected mm. rather than uh, than exposed, then then mm. uh, maybe that's what we need to be uh, mm. hanging on to. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.
The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.